Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Kibalia. And we're recording this on December 27th, 2023. So for us, it's that time of the year when the calendar is clicking over and people are looking back over the year that was. And so that's kind of the mood that we're in of looking back at some of the things that we've covered in the podcast over the past year. Of course, by the time this comes out, we'll be chugging deeply into January, but that's all right. It's still always good to look back. And We've certainly, Dominique, this year we have covered a huge range of topics. I mean, one of the major events was, of course, the publication of Modern Horse Training. And we talked a lot about the, the book and covered many topics around that. Yeah, I mm-hmm. want to I talk about it again today, but oh, I'll let excellent. you finish your yes, intro. Because I always love talking about the new book and... And we've had some great, great conversations, particularly in the area of behavioral analysis with Dr. Joe Lang, with Dr. Claire St. Peter. We just finished up that fascinating conversation with Dr. Michaela Hempen on what is the mind and seeing how those conversations really tied together, I thought was particularly interesting. So we've we've covered a lot. And then we, we talked about really practical things. So we had these very esoteric conversations and head spinning conversations on schedules of reinforcement and so on that I'm sure some people are scratching. Yes, you're scratching. Abstract private events. Yes, yes, which are really fascinating. And sometimes you have to listen to some of those conversations, particularly if you're not familiar with the topic, you just sort of sit back and relax and let them sort of wash over you and what sticks um, is so much a a study of one in terms of, and sometimes things will come, you'll be chugging along going, oh, that's what they were talking about. Well, for me, every time we have a conversation with Joe Lang, I have to listen to it two, three times. Yes, absolutely. For sure. And after three times, they're like, they, they, they have such a profound impact on me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the first time I hear them, I'm like, what? Yes. <laughs> that was pretty intense. Yes. And then, you know, by the time I, I, I listen to it again and again, I'm like, wow, yeah. this is really profound. And, and important. Important. And this is going to change the way I see things. Yeah. Every time with Joe Lyons yes. like that. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And I loved the series that we we did, uh, sort of that we just finished up with going from Anita Schnee with the Feldenkrais work, which is so internal. You know, the, you experience the Feldenkrais work. It's not a macro on the surface. How many, how many weights can I lift today? How many, how many miles can I go on my treadmill? You know, it's nothing like that. It's very internal exploration and then to go from that to Joe's what are private events do private events even exist Mm -hmm. and then Kayla's what is the mind and 
and tying that up then with animal welfare. And then I was thinking, so, you know, yes, animal welfare is an important topic for all of us to consider. And we've all, I'm sure at times, we've driven past that field, that barn, where you see animals that look like they are in trouble. And you think, you know, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? But then I was also thinking in terms of this whole idea of assessing welfare. Every one of us, every one of us who has beloved animals is faced at some point with the elderly or the sick animal where mm -hmm. we are constantly assessing their welfare saying you know what is your quality of life yeah. and and is is it time and yeah. so animal welfare we can view it as a very personal thing and this mm -hmm. discussion of you know, what is sentience and what is awareness and so on is very relevant to all of us who have beloved animals. And then, so, so we had all of those, those fascinating topics, but let's, let's jump to the modern horse training. Because well, yeah, you know, because we had all these very intense and serious discussions uh, lately, I thought I, I would uh, come up with something light today. And, you know, it's Christmas and New Year's and we have all these family gatherings with children and grandchildren. So I thought we would talk about trick training. Oh, OK. And there's a whole chapter in the book about trick training, and it's going to be my basis for this conversation because I, okay. I really enjoy this, this chapter. And, you know, when in the introduction, I want to do the same kind of introduction that you did where you say to serious writers, don't go away just yet. You yes. know, there, there might be something for you in this conversation because trick training has many benefits and it really ripples into all your training. It can really help you get to your goals. So in reality, trick training is just training. Yes. And to be a really good trick trainer takes an enormous amount of skill. Yeah, because you don't want a horse that's just throwing all these tricks right. at you. So you need to learn really well about stimulus control. Yes, because a lot of the trick behaviors, especially the common ones, and you say tricks, people think of, you know, like bowing and things of that sort. It's very easy to get behavior to happen. Very, especially when you're using marker signal and positive reinforcement, it's very, very easy to get behavior to happen. It's much harder to bring it into balance with the rest of your training. And tricks do not, in and of themselves, have space management built into them. So you have you've so you've taught your horse to you've taught your horse to retrieve fun behavior really fun behavior except now he's retrieving your everything every, everything so you <laughs> you set your brush box down and he's handing you every 
brush in your brush box and knocking the brush box over in the process. I mean, that it can it can be entertaining once, but it gets old really fast. Or you know, and a lot you of can't these... leave a fork next to his box because it's in yeah. his mouth. There's a horse that does that at my barn, and good luck to take it out of his mouth. Oh. I mean, he can hold on to this fork, you know, the handle of it. Yeah. He can really hold on to it. That could he's, get he quite dangerous. I would think if he starts swinging the... the... Yeah, and he does actually yeah. a little bit. I, I mean, if he, if it weren't paintbrush, would be great. Yes, I was just thinking that. that that's yeah. clearly a horse who needs to, to learn how to paint. Yeah, but... unfortunately, I don't think that it's, it's you know... His owner is a serious writer. Yes. And probably would not go this route, but who knows? Maybe who knows? at some point they can see all the benefits that you can get from no. this guy. Because, you know, the thing is, I can get him to release the, the fork no. pretty easily myself. I don't know how they do it, the others, because he really holds on to this handle. But, you know, I just use food. He wants the food he has to open his mouth. That's so right. I just That's do right. it like that. <laughs> That's right. But I don't know how they do it with the others. They must struggle a lot. And that's how he got so firm in his grip. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There has never been an accident. But for sure, if you left a fort there the whole night, it wouldn't be good. But yeah, so I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the benefits, first of all. Okay. And then there are a couple, because you go through all kinds of tricks in that chapter. In a very sneaky way. In a very sneaky way. But there are couples that I want to get more into because they're not, they're, they're a little bit different from what we usually hear in terms of trick. And I think they can really... You know, they could, for instance, be the beginning of your lateral work exercises. So everything in your book is sneaky like that, because, you know, we, we keep saying that everything is connected to everything else. But I think in terms of tricks, that can be really, really true. You know, someone yes. may, be, may be teaching painting, like we just said, but someone else may be looking at the exact same behavior and teaching how to take a dose syringe in their mouth. Yes. In their horse's mouth. Yes. Same behavior. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, one behavior can give you so many practical skills. Yes. Uh, and so in the introduction, you list some of the benefits. I don't know if people have really thought this out because some people will just say, oh, tricks, I don't do tricks. Right. But, you know, they can help you when your horse is a little bit uncomfortable with unfamiliar things, can really help to explain scary things. Yes, absolutely. Um, and they can get actually quite confident with a lot. Uh, once you start to play with, you know, let's go explore the goblins, they can become yes. quite, quite confident. They can certainly, if you have a young horse who's too young to be ridden he can start to learn a lot with tricks yes uh, it can be great prep for blanketing and and saddling and yes you know we were talking about retrieving about bridling uh, if your horse is is injured or too old to be ridden 
you can still, you know, have all this training with him and it can be quite important, enriching in his life. Yes. What else? If you have an injured horse who has to do some stall rest, it can be a great outlet for all the energy that a young horse may have. Yes. You know, instead of just rearing and you can really channel his energy with with all these games. You mentioned in, in the book, when you finish riding your horse, if you're a serious rider. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's a great way to cool him down. You know, yes. instead of just going to walk off, you can, yeah, walk off, but do also some of those tricks. Yep. Tricks can become conditioned reinforcers. Yes. <laughs> great way to use tricks. You know, you try and you're you're teaching something that's a bit harder. And we've talked about this strategy many times where you use easier behavior and integrate it in your training with a harder behavior. So tricks can be a great reinforcer. You do two, three reps of the more difficult behavior, and then you switch to the easier behavior, which in this case is a trick. And you'll see your training rapidly progresses with this strategy. So there, there are many many benefits to using tricks, trick training. Yes. There's a, a wonderful story that Kathy Sadow, who's a dog trainer, and she's one of the original faculty members of the Clicker Expo. And she worked for a time at the uh, Point Reliance Zoo in Washington State. And one of the animals that she was in charge of was a walrus named E.T. And mm -hmm. She taught this walrus just dozens and dozens of behaviors. And in part, it's part of his enrichment. And you get to a point where you're sort of scratching your head thinking, well, you know, this is an animal who really loves to learn, who benefits enormously from the enrichment of the training interactions. And I have to come up with something new to teach him. And one of the things that she had taught him was to inhale and exhale on cue so that they could study blood gases. So that was part of a research program. Well, because he knew how to inhale and exhale on cue, she also taught him to play the harmonica. And from E.T.'s perspective, inhaling and exhaling on cue for a blood gas experiment was no different from inhaling and exhaling on cue and producing funny noises on the harmonica that mm -hmm. from his perspective, it's just behavior. But right. there were people who would visit the zoo and because he's a wild animal, they would say, oh, playing the harmonica is so not respectful. You know, oh, that, okay. uh, so there was, you know, it was controversial that, that he was uh, engaging in Trick. undignified behavior Un undignified trick behavior mm. and this is part of you know what colors are thinking of what actually do we mean by trick behavior why is one a trick and the other is serious why yeah. is painting does that fall into the category of trick behavior even though some of the artwork that I've seen horses produce. I mean, they. I think horses do abstract art far better than humans do. 
You know, was I, I have to do this parenthesis because in one of the coaching sessions, you read to us, you had a friend, oh, I think, yes. who is a, a art critic who wrote a critic of uh, the painting of one of your horses, and it was actually yes. hilarious. Do you have it? Not um, too I probably could. I have to think for a moment where I've where I've hidden it, but yes, and, and it was written by the head of the Department of Art at the State University. I love the last line. Let me go find it. Yeah, because it was pretty hilarious. Here it is. Okay, so this is actually Peregrine's very first painting, which I called "Fireflies at Twilight," which I thought was very appropriate given the appearance of the drawing. This early work by the artist already illustrates many of his strengths. The strong decorative style is reminiscent of the P&D pattern and decorative movement of the late 70s, less a reflection of minimalism, except in regard to time spent and restraint shown during execution. It shows a strong connection to a lyrical abstraction or mind sync style. Note in particular, the brilliant use of space, the bold brushstrokes, and the judicious use of his own drool. <laughs> that was the best part. <laughs> no, I thought that was pretty fun. Yes. yes. Yeah, so back to your to your point, though, so, about, you know, so, is this un, undignified that we do this yeah, with? And, and what is the difference between painting and taking uh, a dose syringe? Exactly. Yeah. It's, so it, are we doing husbandry training, collaborative medical training, or are we doing something that is not dignified? I, it's all the same to the animal, yeah. like you said. Yeah. So I think rather than calling them trick behaviors, if we think of it more as enrichment, then yeah. I think it becomes a much broader topic because if you are a serious, in quotes, rider with a serious sport horse, that horse absolutely is going to benefit from enrichment. That horse is going to stay fresher, brighter, more engaged in his work if his overall management program includes enrichment. And you think of that for uh, the older horses, as their uh, careers wind down, you know, yeah, you can, they can become a pasture ornament, say that in quotes. Uh, and maybe that some of these horses really do just, just let me be a grumpy old man and leave me alone. But many of them want the interaction. They want the engagement. I hear people sometimes say, I need to bring the fun back into my training. Yeah. Especially when they traditionally train. You know, it's one of the things when they, because for me, training is just, I'm not what you would call a serious writer. <laughs> I, for me, the priority is the interaction with the horse. It's always been like that. And I always need to feel they're having a ball. So, there, I don't have, you know, I'm not training for competition, but I think for someone who has more serious training, it's good to have those moments where they can bring the fun back. Yeah. You know, you're, there's you're no... Mapping, 
with your horse. You're, you're yeah. giggling at how clever he is and the discovery process. Because really training, good training is a discovery process. Oh, yeah. look what you can do. You know, whether that's mobilizing into Piaf or painting a picture, it's all a discovery process. And, and it's also a discovery process for both. Yes. For the, the, the rider, yes. for the, the owner, the handler, the rider, and for the horse. You see how they learn. Yes, very definitely. Yeah. And it's very fascinating to see how they learn. Yeah. And you learn a lot too. You know, we were talking about stimulus control. It's a great place to learn about this. We've talked about this before. You have to decide what tricks you're going to teach. Some tricks can become a real nuisance, especially yes. if you don't have that off switch, if, especially if the tricks are not under stimulus control. And you make a point in the book, which I thought was interesting. Not every behavior needs to be under full stimulus control. Correct. You know, if if your horse, if you ask your horse to canter and they trot a few times before they canter and you're a trail rider, who cares? If you're a dressage rider, then it's a big deal. You really need the full stimulus control. Your horse has to do exactly the behavior when you request that behavior and no other behavior, which is part of what stimulus control is. But in some cases, you know, what you really want is for the horse to just have an off switch. Yeah, you know, one of the examples I give is, say you have a, you have two horses. One is your fancy competition dressage horse who lives in a stall in a small paddock. And the other is your trail horse who lives out in a 20 acre field. When you want to get your trail horse in and you call him to come in, it would be really good if he came each and every time you called him. But mm -hmm. if your dressage horse just sort of picks his head up and goes, oh, you're there. I mean, that would be heartbreaking, actually, because you would want them to come, you know, right up to the fence and saying, oh, you're here, you're here. But if it's no big deal to walk out in the paddock and get him if he doesn't come to you. That's, mm -hmm. that's the point. So for my trail horse, there would be some things that I would say, you know, I really want this to be more fully under stimulus control, meeting those four criteria of, you know, that he understands the cue, he responds to the cue each and every time you give it, he doesn't give some other response in response to the cue, you know, and so on. That there are some behaviors that you would want to work more completely so that they meet the criteria of full stimulus control and other behaviors where it doesn't really make that much difference. And the one, the example you gave of, if I ask for a canter, does my horse canter right away or does he pick up a couple of steps of trot is a great example of that. And I think it really is important for people to remember that not every, as you said, not every behavior needs to be brought under full stimulus control and which ones really, you know, what matters to you is up to each of us to decide. So, you know, something that I may be a little lax about, someone else may be really strict and stringent about. Sort of like we were, I was chatting with someone the other day and the, the subject of, they were 
actually there were a couple of them. They, were, they were both had children and they were talking about making the beds, teaching children, you know, and, and they were pretty strict about, you know, when you get up, you make your bed. Right. And, and then there are other households in which the bed isn't made. It's no big deal. Mm. So, you know, it's very much like that. You know, what is important to you? And I think the trick training, a lot of the tricks that I teach, most of the tricks I teach, they begin with target training. So yeah. there's a prop involved, which yeah. helps because if you don't want the trick to be occurring, it's out of sight, out of mind. You simply take the prop away. Yeah, it's a great advice to give to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Start with that. And unless you're really a superstar at stimulus control, you should, you know, introduce you and your horse to trick training with target base yeah. tricks. There and there's a lot. We're going to talk about some of them. You can have lots and lots and endless. lots. Of, you can have years of fun with yes. only target-based tricks. Yes. And so you will not get yourself in trouble because like you just said, out of sight, out of mind, you just take the target out of the picture and there's not a horse there throwing all kinds of behaviors. Yeah. And if somebody's going, well, what kinds of behaviors would be a problem? Well, you taught your horse the party trick of shaking their head up and down to say yes. Very mm -hmm. cute. You know, so, do you like carrots? Horse shakes his head up and down. Yes. Do you like do you like cauliflower? Horse shakes his head to the side. No. <laughs> you know, it's it's a cute party trick. But only if it's under stimulus control because now you've got a horse that has learned, oh, if I shake my head up and down, you give me a cookie. This is really great. So you're trying to groom him and he's shaking his head up and down and he's not getting reinforced because I wasn't asking him for the, the, and so now he's in an extinction process Yeah, and he's getting frustrated. And, and now he's pawing. Now he's pawing or he's biting at you or, you know, and you're yelling at him. And, and it's a, it's, it's, it can very quickly become an unwanted mess. Yeah. You um, give the example, too, of people, they teach their horse to smile because it's really easy to get that behavior. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, you know, when they have an un unfamiliar scent, they will do it. Uh, and so you can get it really easily. But then, you know, if, if they do it all the time, at some point, you will not reinforce it. Right. And they will go into the extinction burst that you just described and paw and bang in their door because they're why isn't this working anymore and you can't take it away because they have their lips on them all the time <laughs> so they can curl that lip at you all the time, the time. So, and they yeah, will. yeah they will yeah. and actually you know for me because sometimes when horse colleagues they do that too and yes. I want to keep that like I want to know I I don't want this as a trick because if my horse is not well I want him to show me, um, you know, the real, the real reasons why he's doing that. Yeah. So the target based trick, there are so many. And in the books, you go through all the step-by-step -step way to teach. Yeah. There, there are two. So you say in the book, 
And I think that's also really important advice is that you really need two things if you want to start with this. So target-based behaviors, and we'll 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 go into that, but also the grown-ups yes. are talking. Yeah. The weight. Yeah. The weight you I think I start that, that chapter, don't I, by by saying, you know, I know many of you will open the book and go straight to the trick training. Mm -hmm. And I want to send you back to at least read the the first unit on the foundation behaviors because you absolutely you need the grown-ups are talking that oh, yeah. go into stillness, go into waiting. It is your it is your your balancer in all of this. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about that in the last coaching session, the importance of waiting, because we were actually looking at someone who was doing some discrimination work, which yeah. I guess could be labeled as trick training. So she was doing some match to sample exercises. And so while she is placing all the objects that the uh, horse will have to identify, she has taught her horse to wait. He waits until she indicates which object he is to touch. And this has been, you know, a long process, yeah. but he is now, he, he's really good at waiting. Yes. And so we had a discussion around waiting. And I know for me, waiting, because has, has really made a big difference. And I find especially this year, in terms of the the control I have, the emotional balance that my horse is experiencing, especially Woody, because he can, Woody loves, loves, loves to train. He can get really excited. And a few years ago, I started playing with horse agility. And he was great. I mean, he would run from one station to another station. But I stopped because I felt... I was not in control that I was in this, like it was swirling up too quickly. It was fun to look at, but I felt I was on a slippery slope and I stopped. And this year, uh, not very long time ago, I decided to include it again in my training. Yep. And it's completely different. Oh, so talk and this about is, that. And I realized that I have learned something really important because I see the difference when I used to do this and how I am doing it now. And it's not at all the same thing. I can do it. I can include it again. What are you seeing? So when, you know, if we, well, if we, you were, know, if we were looking at two video, one video of, you know, the, the before and a current video, what would be some of the things that we would notice? Well, first of all, right now I will not do just agility. Okay. Uh, because in agility, the thing is dog agility. That the dog, once you give the go, has to go independently work all the different obstacles at speed. And but it's not completely independent. Right? Yeah, but, but you know, they, they when they train it, they really want the dog to go as soon as he finishes one obstacle, he's off to the next one. But you're telling them which obstacle because the courses change. So they go over the A-frame and you're saying weave and your body orientation 
whatever is is or is saying go to the weave pole not the tunnels and they so they go to the weave poles and the next competition they may be going to the tunnel after the eighth grade so they do have to pay attention to they do but there's kind of cues i know oh there there's absolutely an excitement yeah they're they're excited they're they're going against the clock Yes. And of course, you know, dogs are smaller than horses. Yes. And when when you look at, you know, when you look at agility, horse agility, I've seen some video of horse agility. Oh my God, it's so slow. <laughs> so slow. It's this is a little bit boring actually, you know, because if you know if you do the same course two, three times at that speed. But Woody can be quite, you know, a good agility horse going you know he'll trot he likes it so he'll trot between the stations okay. but but now first of all i i've included mats okay. in between so that there are pauses that are part of the course of the obstacle yep. but also they just become really good at waiting. So I'll give you another example. This is not my agility exactly, but it's actually one, one trick that you describe in your book. It's about teaching your horse to go to a stationary target. And actually, once you expand it, you could make it their name target, where if they're in a herd, they would go to their target and not the other horse's target. Yes. So I do this exercise. So in the beginning, you just have the stationary target and the horse goes to the target and just stays there. You click them a few times. And in the book, so when you expand this trick, this behavior, you call it name target, I guess. The trick, you call it name target teaching your horse to target his name. But anyways, once the horse has learned to touch the target, you ask him to step a, a, a step back, and then you continue to expand it, step a few steps back. And once you have enough steps, you can- You're back chaining. So you start- You're back chaining it, right. right. So you're, you're right next to the target. It's easy for them to touch the target. And then you, you start to gradually- uh, have them back away from the target a step or two. So now they have to go more of a distance to get to the target. And you just gradually increase the distance, the distance. to the target. And then when you have enough distance, what you you, you do, and I, I do this, and they, they like this exercise. So I'll go to the target, we'll target a few times, and then I'll ask them to walk with me and we'll go and, and circle around and stop about, let's say, 20 feet from the target, okay? Yeah. And we'll stay there yes. in robots. Yes. And we'll wait. Yes. And it's super controlled, and it's super, it's it's very pleasant. There's no, like, they're not hectic, you know? Not, in, yeah, it's not, not doing the border collie of, oh, okay, there's the target, there's the target, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, what are you going to release me so I can go zoom to the target? I mean, which that's is just, kind of, which is kind of a characteristic the dogs have when they do yeah. agility. Yeah. But when I say, okay, go, they go. You know, they're not yes. like, huh, what is it? No, they go. And so 
I, I go with them a little bit, but I let them, because I want them to go independently to the stationary yeah. target. And so I'll, I'll kind of initiate with them, but they'll finish all the way to the target. And we'll do this again, but the weight, when we circle back 20 feet or whatever from the station, the weight is so good. Yes. It, it makes every, and you know, it's not like a, a crazy turn because they're old horse, my horses, they're old, older. And so I, I want to be very careful when we circle around that, you know, it's a good circle. And, you know, when we say that tricks can help you in all your performance goal, you could work on that circling around yeah. as lateral work. You know, you could video that circling around. It's a game, right? We're playing a stationary game, but we're making a turn there. And it's we know exactly where we, it's like having a cone and turning around a cone. Yep. Yep. So you could have some lateral work included in that game without in a sneaky way, like you say. Yeah. But you know that that weight, I really love it. I really feel that it gives so much structure to all the exercises to have that weight and then to be able to say, okay, go, and they go. Yes. So they know how to add energy and yeah. then how to settle again. And you think yeah. about that in terms of riding, because I have certainly sat on enough horses that did not have a good settle switch. You know, so you go over a series of jumps, for example, and then you stop and the horse is still jittery. Or you're out on a trail and you you need to wait for somebody or there's a gate that has to be opened and closed and you're waiting on your horse and the horse is all jittery. And what that horse needs to learn is exactly what you're describing, that you can just settle. You yeah. Can, you can relax. You can settle. One of the things that I dearly love about the Icelandics is they always had such a phenomenal settle switch, you know, that you can go zooming at full speed. And then you say, okay, we're done. And the icy just settles underneath you. Same thing with, so if we're doing the agility with Woody, and now, like I say, sometimes I put mats in as a station in the agility. Yes. He has to stop and we'll do a few grown-ups there. So we go high and then we go very low because oh, we're yep. stopping. And then once the whole thing is done, because my exit strategy is when I do a course like that, I'll put the obstacles in the middle of the arena. And my exit strategy is always, because their mountain block is kind of at the other end yep. and it's on the other side of the little fence. So I always put my refill there. Okay. And and when we're when I refill, the horse will come with me and I will put some a, a few pieces on the mountain block while I'm filling my pocket. So it's a really it's a place where they really like to go. And if I want to okay. run to the mountain block, I can they will run to the mountain block because they know that. I'm going to give them, you know, scatter some treats on the yes. mountain. So it's kind of a exciting place to go, you know. But when I do my course with Woody, because Bonanza doesn't have that same kind of energy that Woody has. But, so Woody has been more my teacher in that. So 
at the end, I will stop. And now we, we're going to the mounting block for the final, you know, scattering of, but we go really slowly. Yeah. We go slowly, which I don't think I would have been able to do before. Mm. First of all, I wouldn't have had an exit strategy so far away. Okay. I wouldn't have allowed myself that because it would have been too much. Whereas now, I don't mind. I know I can handle it, you know, yes. because I have this balance in my training where I can stop this energy. I can balance it with pauses. And I really feel I have learned this over the past months and years that has made such a difference. So, and it's just grownups, right? It's yes. such an easy thing yeah. to learn. Yeah. But the impact of this foundation behavior is just amazing. You know, you say people just want to get to the other foundation behavior because it seems so, okay, I get it. He, he, he can keep yeah. his head behind his shoulder. But no, it's your really, it's like your best tool in your, in yep. your. It's your off switch. It's, it's your off switch, but it's, it's your emotional balancer. Yep. It's so many things. So in trick training, you really need to yes. use it, use it a lot. It is your off switch. And it is your guarantee that trick training will always be something pleasant and enriching for both of you. Yes, and it yes. will not get out of hand. So yeah, if we're going to say what we learned the most this year, when I look at the impact in my training, I think waiting is such a key thing. Yes. And so I love to practice it. I love to see that we have that in, in repertoire and expand it. Great. Especially in the beginning, when the the horses are fussy, it can seem, you know, there's so many other more interesting things to do rather than stand there and in grownups and teach waiting. And we'll pair that also with standing on a mat. When that's a well-developed behavior, boy, is it elegant. Yes. It's so elegant. You know, it's one of the interesting things recently. I found I found out this beautiful wooden walking stick that I've had for years and never used. And I took it out to the barn recently. So when I go for walks with the goats, I take it with me. I use it because when we're on uh, the hillsides and the ground is so wet these days, it can get really slippery. And so it's, it's handy having a walking stick. And then when I'm watching the goats uh, browsing, I can sort of lean on it. So it's a handy thing to have. And it occurred to me, it was one of those, duh, why didn't I think of this before? But it has a knob. That right. knob is a perfect target. Yeah. So when the goats come up, they'll, most of the time, if we stop, they'll, they'll be finding things to eat. But they come over usually one at a time and they want to interact. And so we're now engaged in targeting games where I have them touch the target while I'm stroking their back, handling their back, you know, getting them just extending the duration in which they will stand there while I fuss with their, with their coats. And these are cashmere goats and they have to be combed in the spring. You have to get the undercoat out. And especially Elian, who has very long guard hairs, is not the most pleasant thing in the world for him. 
And I was thinking, you know, to spend the whole winter building up this long, long duration of waiting with his nose on the targets on the on my walking stick while I bust with his uh, coat is just going to pay huge dividends. And so while we're out for a walk, there's all of this enormous enrichment that is occurring and this great training that is occurring. But it's just, you know, a rep here, a couple reps over there. Oh, you're going off now to chew on briar roses. That's great. Chop those things down. Oh, here comes another another of the goats. We'll play for a few minutes. And mm. it's that kind of thing that you think, well, it's it's no time at all. But mm. over the course of the winter, it accumulates. And I think that's what we have to keep in mind with things like the waiting behavior with grown-ups is it accumulates and it just becomes a stronger, stronger, stronger behavior to the point where at some point you sort of, you look at your horse staying on a mat while you move every prop in the arena around and Woody is just solidly on his mat and you think, wow. You wrote something in one of the summaries of the coaching session where you said very often you get emails where people are asking, give me the magic lesson to yes. fix the problem. I need the, the lesson. And you say, no, great results emerge over time. Yes. Like you just said, you know, where, yeah. yeah, sometimes you can have breakthrough lessons for sure. But, you know, over time, what yeah. emerges with good training, those are the results we're after. Yes. And we're incredibly lucky in that we have, you know, we work with a species that has a long life. So we really get to see that development over time. So there was a there was a trick behavior you wanted to talk about. In uh, particular. You know, well, that was one, the, the one with the station. But I think we were talking about, you know, what can what can one do with targets, you know, and. There are so many things. Of course, there's all the body targeting for sure. Yes. And and that can be so useful because once your horse knows how to target their shoulders and their hips to whatever, you can really start using this yes. in your regular work. You know, that means you can move your shoulder to or away from and that can be used very useful but there's also all the um, moving targets where you can have your horse go over things around things under things you know yes. like the umbrella overhead obstacles so there was one example of, of that targeting which i really liked and you and i played with this when we had the retired cavalier horse was the weaving poles oh yes Remember that? Yes. When you start the horse, so you have all your cones down on the ground, and you start the horse with following a target. And you may want to have some mats that can help between cones so that the horse can stop at the mat and then go around the next cone. And eventually, so you, you lead them with the target, but yes. eventually you can fade the target and fade the mats and just send them out in the weaving poles. Yes. Which which I think is great. You know, it's a, it's 
It's a nice example of things you can get with targets that I'm not sure people can have thought about. There's so many things, you know, even when we were describing before the stationary target, if at some point your horse is really good at going to the stationary target, well, you can start adding a jump in between. Yes. You can start adding a tarp that he has to step on or whatever. If you become creative with just target tricks, there's a lot you can do. Yeah. The, they expand so beautifully. and But I, what I like about the target tricks is to begin them in what I would call a small and sneaky way. We're going to end here for today. Next time we'll find out what it means to introduce trick training in a sneaky way. We recorded this podcast at the end of December. We're now midway through January. The Clicker Expo Live is coming up on January 26th through January 28th, 2024. Depending upon when you are listening to this, there's still time for you to register. I'm going to be presenting at the Expo. I'm going to do a program on fear, but it's not going to be the usual type of presentation that you would expect, the sort where you are figuring out strategies to help a fearful animal to become bolder. Or at least it is about that, but in a very indirect, roundabout way. So certainly not in the usual way that we tend to think about this topic. I'm not going to say any more now. Instead, I'll suggest you join me on Friday the 26th for that presentation. And at this year's Expo, a real treat for me is I'm going to be talking about my new book, Modern Horse Training, uh, in the book nook on Sunday morning. Ken Ramirez is going to be hosting that discussion. So it's a very great honor for me to be able to talk about the book with Ken, and I'm going to be really interested to hear what he has to say about it and what he has to say about this approach that I've taken to talking about the training. And then I'm going to be joining Laura Monica Torelli in a conversation about cross-species care. Laura is a trainer and presenter I very much admire. And at the expos, we always seem to be running in different directions, so we never have enough time to sit down and just visit. So how perfect is it that we get two hours on Saturday to do just that? And what's more, you get to join us. So I hope you do register for the expo. You can register through January 21, 2024. So if you're interested, go to theclickerexpo.com to learn more. And if you happen to be listening to this after the January Expo, there is still the Portland Expo coming up in Washington State, and I'll be presenting at that as well. So you've got two chances still to join us at the Expo, and I hope to see you at one of them. And until next time, train well and have fun with your horses. Thank you.